0: the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael
1: Smirconish right here in the middle. This is the Smirconish podcast for independent minds. Yesterday, Brett Eagleson was on the program. Brett Eagleson was a 15 year old sophomore in high school when he lost his father, Bruce, who died in the September 11 attack. His father was inside the World Trade Center, and from the conversation that I had with Brett yesterday, I'm fully mindful of the fact that his father, he told us, was on the 17th floor. Dad could have gotten out. Dad played a heroic role, and over the years, Brett, who is now 35 and a banker, has taken a keen interest in the events of September 11, as and in particular, the potential role of the Saudis in September 11. He was, of course, you know that 15 of the 19, including bin Laden, who was not one of the 19, but the mastermind, all Saudi nationals. Anyway, he was a guest here on the program yesterday because he's the catalyst. He's the, uh, the impetus behind this movement of more than 1,600 people directly affected by the attacks who recently called on President Biden to not participate in any memorial events for the 20th anniversary of the attacks, which are just one month from tomorrow. Today's the 10th, one month from tomorrow, we will commemorate the 20th anniversary of September 11. And I'm, I'm sure that's a burr in the saddle of the white house for a president in his first year in office to be asked by the families not to participate. And why would he be asked not to participate? Because The families say that candidate Joe Biden promised them he'd release materials pertaining to a potential Saudi role in the attacks of September 11, if he were ever elected president. So Brett was here explaining this issue, talking to us about what it is the family would like to see. And lo and behold, that I'm not saying because of his appearance here on the program, although I did have him on CNN Friday night When I was guest hosting for Chris, but let's just give the White House the benefit of the doubt that for all the right reasons, uh, they are agreeing with the family and they're trying to give families and they're trying to give them what they want. As the White House said in a statement yesterday, as I promised during my campaign, my administration is committed to ensuring the maximum degree of transparency under the law and to adhering to the rigorous guidance issued during the Obama-Biden administration on the invocation of the state secrets privilege. The president added, in this vein, I welcome the Justice Department filing today, which commits to conducting a fresh review of documents where the government has previously asserted privileges and to doing so as quickly as possible. Uh, Before he was elected president, Joe Biden had promised the families that he would direct his attorney general to examine the merits of all cases where the invocation of privilege is recommended and to err on the side of disclosure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Brett Eagleson, my guest of yesterday, was then asked by a variety of media outlets, you know, are you satisfied He said that the FBI's review was a step in the right direction, but that it was not sufficient to assuage the family's anxieties. Quote, it sounds like it's promising, but let's see what they actually produce. This is a story that gets into the weeds quickly because you a lot of names and a lot of a lot of places. I I think the best distillation of what's this all about is something that Adam Taylor wrote for the New York Times in 2016 when the subject was the 28 pages. You know, there were 28 pages that were left out, not of the uh, 9-11 Commission report. The 28 pages were from a 2002 report from a congressional investigation that was two years before the 9-11 Commission released its findings. But the subject of the 28 pages was something that I talked about for a period of years until the release in 2016. And here's the summary from Adam Taylor that is a good snapshot as to what's driving this. What is it that people think we don't know the full story? Quote, of particular notoriety are the alleged links between two of the hijackers and a Saudi network that helped them when they arrived in California. These hijackers, Nawaf al-Hamzi and Khalid al-Midhar, could not speak English and may have been expected to struggle with adapting to American life. However, they arrived in California more than a year and a half before the attacks took place. Some suspect that Hamzi and Midhar would have needed help in California. Authorities have investigated whether Fahad al-Thumari, an official at the Saudi consular office in Los Angeles could have been someone who provided help. The two hijackers may have worshipped at a mosque where Thumari was an imam. What is clear is that they met with Omar al Bayumi, a Saudi working for the country's Civil Aviation Authority in California at a restaurant in L.A. Bayumi says the meeting with the two men was simply a coincidence. He later helped the pair get acquainted in San Diego Loaned money for an apartment. The Federal Bureau of Investigation suspects Bayumi and Thumari met shortly before this meeting. According to The Guardian, in a 2004 interrogation in Riyadh, Thumari denied knowing Bayumi. However, investigators later suggested he may have been lying. Phone logs showed 21 calls between the two over two years. In other words, two guys who were hijackers show up in Southern California and very quickly get acclimated with help from individuals tied to the Saudi consulate. And the question becomes, were they there because they were pro- being provided this level of assistance by individuals in the Saudi royal family? Boy, that's a really gross simplification, but just to try and give you a feel for it. <clears throat> so, anyway, the good news is the US is saying they're going to try to release some still secret files on Saudi Arabia and 9/11. Watch my YouTube channel and see the interview with Brett Eagleson here yesterday because one of the points made is it's you know it's not just Biden. W Obama Trump and now Biden have all dragged their feet in terms of releasing whatever these documents might be pertaining to investigation of the Saudi connection. All right. That's one update that I wanted to give to you. The second is also 9-11 related. And yesterday at Smirkanish.com, we had posted a piece that was just published in The Atlantic written by Jennifer Senior. Jennifer Senior, formerly at The New York Times, The headline, What Bobby McIlvain Left Behind, Grief, Conspiracy Theories, and One Family Search for Meaning in the Two Decades Since 9-11. I saw it early in the morning before I came on air yesterday, but it's really long, and I didn't have the chance to fully digest it, but I knew it was a winner. I knew this was a significant piece. And I did read it uh, last night and, and highly recommend I retweeted it this morning. So if you follow me on Twitter, but there's a connection in this to uh, to subject matter we've addressed in in the program before. Uh, I'll explain it this way. Bobby McIlvain was 26 years old when on September 11, he had just begun working. He was a Princeton graduate. He'd grown up in the Philly suburbs. He had just begun working in a media capacity for Merrill Lynch, not a trader, but doing media work for them and had a conference at Windows on the World. And, and that is where he was when catastrophe struck. So Bobby McIlvain is the focus of Jennifer Senior's piece. But really, the McIlvain family is the focus. And it is what what makes this special? It's it's a thorough examination of the ripple effects, the ramifications of September 11 on an entire family. Uh, he was about to be affianced. There then became hostility between his mom and the would-be fiance. There were diaries that he had kept, and one was given hastily by dad to the would-be fiance, the girlfriend at the time. Then she wouldn't return it. That became a subject of consternation. The brother is 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 reeling and grieving. Dad has a fondness for conspiracy, and has has completely drowned himself in in some of the um, well, yeah, the conspiracies that surround the events of September 11. Um, and so this it's it's this really gut wrenching story about a a family that you know lost a promising young son to the events of September 11 through no fault of his own. The part of this that relates to this radio program, and you might remember if you're a long-term listener, is that in April of 2020, right when COVID was hitting the fan, there was a radio segment that I did with a Philadelphia Inquirer reporter named Mike Sealski, really talented reporter. Mike Sealski was writing about Bobby McIlvain. Bobby McIlvain, the same individual, the focus of this Atlantic major story uh, on the 20th anniversary of September 11th. Think about it this way. The Atlantic not only is is a website that is constantly changing, but they still publish. And this story will be their cover story for the 20th anniversary. That lets you know what they think of the story. But when Mike Sealski was here talking about Bobby McIlvain a year and a half ago, it was from a different angle. It was because film footage had just come to light of Bobby McIlvain playing high school basketball. I think it was only a 20 or 30 second clip. Now, why would it have been noteworthy that a 20 or 30 second clip of a high school basketball game of someone we lost on September 11 be worthy of a story in and of itself? Because the clip depicted Bobby McIlvain playing high school ball against Kobe Bryant. And having had a stellar game playing when Kobe was playing at Lower Marion High School, Bobby McIlvain scored 20 no, 16 points, 16 points against Kobe. And in one particular play, completely left Kobe flat footed. And Sealski wrote a whole story about the basketball game where this promising young man gets the best of Kobe, who, of course, is going to go on to greatness. And unfortunately, Bobby McIlvain was going to go on to m- meet his fate on September 11. Anyway, here's a piece of Mike Sealski on this program telling us a part of that story. December 1992, Bobby McIlvain is playing basketball for Upper Dublin. He's a senior. Kobe Bryant is playing for Lower Marion High School. Correct me if I'm wrong. He's a freshman.
0: He's a freshman, and it's his first game as a high school player, the very first game of his high school career, uh, December 14th or something around there, um, 1992, uh, yeah, first game of the season for both Lower Marion and Upper Dublin, uh, Kobe scores 19 points, uh, looks great in the game, and Bobby McIlvain scores 16 and is happy to let you know for years thereafter that, hey, I had 16 points against Kobe Bryant in high school.
1: But, of course, his parents never had the opportunity to watch video of their son playing and doing well against Kobe Bryant. Recently, that changed. Pick up the story.
0: Sure. Um, So on the day uh, Kobe Bryant died, January 26th, um, that was the day he died. The day after that, uh, I got an email from a high school classmate and friend of mine uh, who works at YouTube. He's an executive at YouTube and has been there for a long while. And the email says... I uh, thought you'd find this interesting, and there's a video embedded in the message. And that video is 36 seconds of footage from that Lower Marion Upper Dublin game. And it shows another player on Upper Dublin's team driving past Kobe and scoring. But it also shows Bobby uh, huge in the footage, throwing the pass that set, sets up the basket, uh, scored against Kobe. That's one side of the video. The other side of the video is Kobe... At YouTube's offices, sitting at a desk uh, in 2018, he's there to make a pitch for a YouTube program based on these children's books that he's been writing since he retired from the Lakers. Um, and after the pitch meeting, my friend showed him this clip of video, this 36 seconds. So on on the left side of this video that I'm watching, you have the game itself. And on the right side, you have Kobe sitting at a desk his eyes riveted on a laptop, watching this same video. You can watch him watch himself in real time. On the left side of the screen is 14-year-old Kobe. On the right side of the screen is 39-year-old Kobe. It's almost cosmic. It's, it's an amazing piece of footage.
1: Back in real time. I love this story on so many different levels. So sad that we've lost Kobe. So sad that we've lost Bobby McIlvain. Amazing how their lives intersected. Amazing that Bobby McIlvain is now the focus of the Atlantic's treatment of September 11, trying to explain the impact that that had on so many Americans. And Mike Sielski, by the way, was a classmate of Bobby McIlvain's, which is why he was so keen to bring it all to light.
0: The Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. Listen to Michael Smirkanish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com.